Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's time. Time for stimulating talk. Time for thought-provoking conversation. Time for the Lisa Wexler Show on WICC 600 AM and 107.3 FM. Turn on your brain and get the real scoop on today's topics and events. Here is Lisa Wexler. Good morning, good morning. I'm so happy you're joining us today. 203-333-9422 is our number. You can call me at 203-333-9422. We are going to have Acting Bridgeport Police Chief Rebecca Garcia on at 1030 this morning. I'm looking forward to chatting with her. It'll be the first time I get to do so. At 1130, we are going to have an author on, a New Yorker writer named D.T. Max, because he published a book called Late Conversations with Stephen Sondheim, and that's exactly what they are, transcripted interviews with the late and great Stephen Sondheim. If you're a theater buff like me, you're not going to want to miss a little bit of gossip and conversation about one of the great composers of our time. 203-333-9422 is our number. So lots of stories in the news today I wanted to catch you up on. Let's begin with the fact that Governor... Uh, Ned Lamont and his wife, Annie, have been invited by President Biden to attend the White House state dinner on Thursday, which is going to be the first state dinner that the Biden administration has held during their administration. And I'm thinking, wow, he's been in office two years and hasn't had a state dinner. But then I recognize, you know, the first whole year was taken up with COVID. And I don't know about the second year, but it seems like COVID has preoccupied so much of what it has meant to be the president over the last several years, that I guess this is the first time they feel comfortable, notwithstanding, I'm sure you just heard at the top of the hour, that we have three different viruses going around this RSV, which is particularly dangerous to little ones, the flu, which we expected would be a rough season, and COVID itself, which really hasn't gone anywhere except for the fact that most of us have already gotten it. And because we've gotten it, we have gotten over it, and we don't consider it a public health emergency. In any event, it's exciting for Governor Lamont and Annie Lamont to be going there. We wish them well. On his press release today on the official page of the Connecticut State online site, he says, it is an honor to be invited to this administration's first White House state dinner. We're appreciative of President Joe Biden and First Lady Jill Biden for including Connecticut. And this is, by the way, uh, in honor of um, French President Macron. So he was excited to be meeting him. And I understand they're going to have red, white, and blue kinds of foods and festivities. I, guess, I think the red is going to be lobster. I don't know, the white, the blue, whatever. Uh, in the meantime, Jill Biden has also gotten attention, Jill has, as the first lady, for decorating the Christmas trees around the White House. And I understand there aren't any red ones this year. A lot of them are white and light. And no, I haven't been invited. Have you? 203-333-9422. For those of you who are interested in my mom, let me give you an update. And I'm just going to do this because we've had literally hundreds of people uh, call me and email me and send well wishes and thank yous on the Lisa Wexler Show Facebook page in which I've been 
giving a little bit, but not too much of a play-by-play, but a little bit of what's been going on with my mom and her stroke. So today, fingers crossed, she's been cleared to move to rehab. She had a bit of a panic attack this morning at 5 a.m. She called crying. My mom, my, my father and my sister and Gary had to run to the hospital by 6 a.m. Come, come, get me, come, get me. She, she just had a little bit of a crying panic attack, but she's okay. And that's expected to happen here and there. You know, it's um, the doctors have said, which is interesting to me, that recovery from an event like a stroke is a roller coaster. That's how they have all described it to us, as opposed to sort of a steady mountain climb where you slip a little bit once or twice and then get back up the hill, which is the way I think about it in my head. They actually said in real life it's a roller coaster. You've got these ups and then you've got these downs. So they're not surprised that my mom has, you know, a mood swing, a a crying fit here and there, a sense that she's never going to get better. And then you just go back up the roller coaster. So I don't know if you've experienced that in your family. This is the first time we as a family are experiencing this kind of an event that we then all have to heal from. But that's what's happening. But mom is good and hopefully cleared for rehab today. We've been constantly playing the Amy Winehouse You know, the song, they tried to make me go to rehab, and I said, no, no, no. So we play that for her, and she laughs a little bit. 203-333-9422, and so that's where we are with mommy. But it's very good prognosis. We're very encouraged, and that's the main thing. Okay, and we're lucky because we recognize it could have been a lot worse. And, you know, all you have to do is walk down the halls of a hospital to – be grateful for whatever state of health that you have that keeps you out of one, right? It's about gratitude and gratefulness and gratitude and gratefulness a thousand times over uh, because there are so many people who are suffering in the halls of our hospitals. And, you know, we get to go about our regular life and be happy and cheerful. Um, Although there are so many people, wonderful volunteers who make it a part of their everyday life to make sure that they have an awareness, and an opportunity to help those who are less fortunate. 203-333-9422. Okay, let's talk a little bit about some of the more controversial things that are going on, and they are, I think, to some extent entwined with each other. You know, right now we are in the process of overhauling our language, our English language, English language, which is something that we're always in the process of doing. It's not new, but it seems more startling than in years past because of pronouns. You and I use pronouns every single day, he, she, them, their, you know, him, her. And the English language separates us into male and female categories. Uh, We don't have an it. We don't have an other. We don't have uh, a pronoun in English for a living being that doesn't designate a gender. It by definition, is an inanimate object. Now, Chinese is not English, and in the Chinese language, they don't do the he-she. So not every language is structured the way our Latin, Romantic languages are structured, and English, of course, being a derivative of Romantic languages in German. So, but this is what we've inherited. This is the way we have trained our brains to speak and communicate. And with the advent of so many people in the transgender world who are not satisfied, who, who don't feel that the, that the pronouns he or she describe who they are as an identity, they have been asking people in print, journalists and public officials and others, to change vocabulary in order to more accurately and respectfully represent their identity. And by their, I don't mean... I I mean plural, they, as in more than one person, but also they are asking as a community for English to change its pronoun and have the there and they not merely represent a plural of people, but represent a single individual person who doesn't identify as either female or male. And so as we begin to read... So, for example, the other day I was reading the New York Times, and I was reading the New York Times account of that terribly horrible 
killing that happened in that gay bar in Colorado just within the last week or two. And the person responsible for it, the person that was arrested for it, is somebody who doesn't identify as male or female. And that person, in fact, did not want to be referred to in the arresting papers as a Ms. or a Mr., but the public defender for this person wanted to be represented, uh, wanted this person to be represented by the title MX, period. Now, somebody needs to educate me. I'd be happy to have a phone call to tell me how is MX pronounced? I understand how it's written. It's written to denote neither a Ms. or a Mr., but I don't know how MX is pronounced. If there's a pronunciation, please elucidate me. I don't know what it is, MX. But in any event, the article in referring to this person was referring to this person, it is pronounced Mix? Thank you, Andrew. Okay, so Mix. Okay. So so Mix is a designation of, of a person who doesn't want to be identified by their gender. Mix. Okay. So this person... Um, was referred to repeatedly in the article with pronouns of they and their. And it was confusing if you're used to reading English in a way that goes to they and them and their as being plural. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because language is evolving. We understand that it's always evolving. And today, the New Haven uh, paper talked about the fact that New Haven is changing its person-first language in city laws. So New Haven is implementing, according to the Independent, will no longer call people a handicapped person with the adjective in front of person. From now on, it's person with a disability. According to the city, which made the announcement yesterday, language in the city's laws are being updated to be more, quote, welcoming and inclusive. Uh, He, Mayor Justin Ellicker, said in a press release The change in terminology was, quote, long overdue. And so they are going to person-first language. In other words, a person with a disability, a person with a handicap of some kind, a person with a whatever, as opposed to identifying that person with an adjective in front of them. This is called person-first language. It was signed into law earlier this month, and it was pushed forward by Gretchen Nauf, the director of disability services, who said language is an important tool for people to see each other and the world. That's correct. So, for example, handicap handicap ramp will no longer be called that. It will be called accessible ramp. Mental retardation is being excised from the language of the New Haven ordinances, and it will be intellectual disability instead, which is something that has been rewritten in the Connecticut state statutes for a long time. I'll give you a very specific example of this. In 2022, a new language, a new law went into effect in Connecticut that no longer talks about paternity. It talks about parentage. So, for example, when there used to be something called a paternity suit, in which somebody would try and allege the reality of the biological fatherhood of a baby, that would be called a paternity suit. That language has been changed in our statute. We're no longer talking about paternity. We are talking about parentage. And parentage is now the new term that has become the acceptable language because even the word motherhood, mothers, They're not in the statute anymore. When we talk about parents, it's parents. Why are we doing this? Well, it was obviously an attempt to recognize that we have households that don't have females with them. And the word mother is still inextricably tied to a female. We have households that have two men, and those households were wanted, we wanted those households to be respected. So we went to the term parent as opposed to mother and father. Language in America right now, probably all over the world in English, is really evolving in order to be more inclusive and more respectful 
for people who felt that the language prejudiced other people against them. So people with disabilities, people with intellectual disabilities, people that had non-traditional households, people that have um, different genders. Just letting you know, 203-333-9422. We're going to get to some extent why that's created some controversy in our schools coming right up. Hear your favorite moments anytime you want. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Back to the Lisa Wexler Show on WICC 600 AM and 107.3 FM. And welcome back to the show. Good morning, good morning. Talking about the evolution of language, the evolution of the English language. Let's go to Doug from Norwalk. Hi, Doug. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Off the topic a little bit, but it's language. Sure. Uh, I'd like to discuss the possibility, uh, I think very beneficial, is sign language in school as a, from a young age, uh, maybe an hour a week, half hour a week. Great idea. Teaching, not only is it beneficial for the hearing impaired, it's across a a crowded area, sign language. As, As people get older, they have voice problems as they get elderly. They can communicate with their loved ones, their doctors, their I don't understand why we talk about language, and this has never really been addressed, and it seemed like it could be even just a basic sign language. You know something, Doug? It's interesting because I have a friend who had a baby. He's now two, and and she took a, an infant sign language course with him as he was developing actual verbal language because she learned when she was pregnant that this was a very helpful thing that infants, that babies, could learn to communicate in sign before they could actually vocalize. So she wanted her child to be picking up language as well as other communication skills. And I don't really know how it worked out for her. I don't know if the baby ended up using sign before vocalizing. But, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's a very cool thing. At the very least, it should be some kind of an option. I don't know if every school system could afford to do this. But I personally love the idea, and I love the idea in preschools. I love the idea. I love the idea, too. Also, now, when we talk about different languages, Spanish, French, is the sign language still the same? Uh, I mean, is it universal? I mean, let's look it up. I always thought it was. I always thought sign language was it. What a good question. Is sign language? This shows you you my ignorance. I'm going to have to have somebody on. I don't know. I mean, the alphabet obviously is not. So, okay, this is what Google says. Google knows everything. Ready? There is no universal sign language. Different sign languages are used in different countries or regions. For example, British Sign Language, known as BSL, is different than ASL, which is American Sign Language. And Americans who know ASL may not understand BSL. So that's the answer. It's not universal. In fact, across the globe, more than 300 sign languages are formally (laughs) recognized. Wow. It's too bad you can't have a universal sign language because at customs, you know, you could communicate. It it would be just another form of language to actually bring people closer together if we all shared a single language. Yeah, but do you remember years ago some some hopeful uh, optimist thought that one day we would all be speaking Esperanza? When I was a kid, or Esperanto, when I was a kid I was told that the U.N. had decided that at one point in time in the future we'd all be speaking Esperanto and it never took off the ground. Language is so entwined with our babyhood, our infantum, and what our mothers speak to us in, and our fathers, but mostly our mothers, that that's mm-hmm. why they call it the mother tongue. And um, well, I don't know if you're allowed to use mother anymore. I know. Well, t- please forgive me. <laughs> Do I have your forgiveness? Can I say mother tongue? You're right. Parent tongue. Parent tongue. You're right. You're right. Parent tongue. I think, you know what, this new uh, language and everything, it's okay, but don't be offended if People go back to what they learned from youth, you know. Don't 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 be offended if I don't say, you know, if I say mother when I'm supposed to say parent. I know they what you mean. Don't don't go overboard. Don't force feet it down my throat. I think th- there's there's a line to you know that you got to 
toe or tiptoe on each side. But let's not go overzealous with it. And that's all, that's all I got. Thank you so much. Thank you, Doug. Thanks for calling in today. Sign language, what a great idea. What a great contribution, right, to language. Something that I haven't learned yet. Another thing to do. So my, um, you know, Thomas, my son-in-law, his grandfather, who is now 96, just came back from Japan, unbelievable. In his 90s, he decided that he wanted a new challenge. So he always knew Arabic relatively well. He grew up in Israel. He literally was born in Israel, which is remarkable for his age. And, uh, and he grew up with a lot of Arab friends and Arab-speaking people. But he decided he wanted a challenge in his 90s. So he, he went to the library and really dug deep into Arabic. And now he teaches Arabic at a local college in his 90s which tells us all that it's never too late to learn, right? Never, never, never too late to learn. Okay, we have got our um, Bridgeport Police Chief, Rebecca Garcia, on with us in just a moment. We're going to turn to her and get to know her a little bit on the Lisa Wexler Show. Stay tuned. We'll take your questions at 203-333-9422. We'll be right back. Where Shelton comes first for news and talk. The Lisa Wexler Show on WICC 600 AM and 107.3 FM. Acting Bridgeport Police Chief Rebecca Garcia has served in this capacity for two years. But before that, she's been in the department since October of 1991. That's a very long time. She's had various supervisor roles. She was sworn in as assistant chief in December of 2019. But before that, uh, Ms. Garcia, Chief Garcia, was commander of the Training Academy, which taught recruits and sworn officers de-escalation and relationship building through community awareness and interaction projects. She joins us now. This is the first time, uh, Chief Garcia, I've had a chance to talk with you. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, and good morning. Hello? Hello? Yes, ma'am. Hello? Hi, Chief. How are you? Good morning. I'm very well. How are you? Good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure. So let me begin with the fact that the Connecticut Post says that not only are you retiring, but that you claim that, quote, politics was behind the new hire. Uh, Let's Mm. just get this out of the way and talk about this. Do you feel that you were uh, passed over for the wrong reasons to be the permanent chief? Uh, Yes, I feel that um, if you have someone that has been working in the capacity of chief for over two years, has been within the department 32 years with a stellar record, um, has, uh, with the help of the men and women, because I didn't do it alone, but we reduced reduced crime by 31%, which is unheard of. Um, If anything, all of the cities in the state of Connecticut are are actually uh, saying that there's an increase in crime. So we we had... uh, different initiatives put into place. Uh, We were pulling um, things together. We turned the department around. Um, We even, uh, we went through very tough times. I took over at a very difficult time and um, we we were able to bypass that and continue to stay focused. So, um, kind of don't understand or or I would question um, why that decision was made. Yeah. Now, do you know Mr. Porter? I mean, I think you guys must have served together in some capacity, been with the department for so long. Yes, I do. I do know Rod. Um, We actually served together uh, for a time as investigators in internal affairs together. Um, We also, um, at one point, he was a training commander. I was a training academy commander. At one point, he was the... uh, Head of Internal Affairs. I took over after um, after he he was uh, promoted to captain. I took over Internal Affairs. So yes, I I do know Rod. Yes. Yeah. So and okay and and you decide. I mean, I guess after this, if you're going to not be chief, you're going to be retiring. Are you going to be retiring from law enforcement altogether, or just from Bridgeport? Well, I am officially retired as of yesterday. Wow. Um, it happened, yes, it happened uh, suddenly. So I haven't really 
solidified um, whether I'm retiring from law enforcement altogether. I'm going to take some time and uh, and enjoy uh, enjoy life, not be on call 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually on call for 27 out of my 32 years. So uh, that means getting up at 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, being available at all times. So I'm just going to take a breather um, and then uh, enjoy a, a, a planned trip and then come back and decide uh, where we go from here. We're chatting with former police chief Rebecca Garcia, who served our community in Bridgeport for two years. Uh, chief, let me just ask you about you as a person, because we haven't met. Are, are you married? Do you have kids? Do you have grandkids at this point? What What is your life stage like, like your family life? So my life stage, I'm not married. I never had any children. Um, there wasn't any time for that. Mm, <laughs> it sounds like you were so busy. Wow. Yeah. Yes, yes. I, I actually chose a career first. Um, I have an amazing family. I'm the youngest of six. I have godchildren. I have nephews, nieces, and my mom, um, I'm blessed that she's still alive at 85. Mm. So I'm very family-oriented. They're, they're my great support group my system. Uh, and, uh, so yes, um, that, that part of my life never, uh, actually evolved. So let me ask you something, uh, chief, can I still call you chief? Mm-hmm. Don't you think for respect, I should still call you chief. I think, <laughs> I think so. You could call me chief. You could call me Rebecca, whatever, okay, whatever Rebecca, you're comfortable fine. with. Fine. I'll call you Rebecca mm-hmm. if you call me Lisa. Okay. Rebecca, okay. Um, tell me a little bit about the challenges you faced as a woman, from when you started to literally landing as acting police chief and all of that. And did you feel that your gender, your sex had anything to do with being passed over uh, to stay as permanent chief? Did you think that your gender had anything to do with that? I would say that um, it's it's been a, a difficult road as a female uh, within law enforcement. Remember, remembering that this is the biggest city in the state of Connecticut. Um, it, I, I am the first that has ever, the first female and, and first uh, Hispanic female that has occupied that position. Mm-hmm. I will tell you that um, some people weren't ready for that. Um, but the, the beauty of it, Elisa, is that I can bypass all of that because it was about community mm-hmm. and it was about my officers, the safety of my officers, the relationships with the community. Um, so I, I really was able to just stay focused on that. Um, and, you know, I, I think we did it well. I, I think we did it well. And I've had some of the female officers and even some of the young ladies that I've met throughout my career and the children at the schools um, that were always like, oh, my God, you're the boss. And mm. and the, the female officers are like, chief, you've, you've shown us that we can do this as well. And you know what? That was just so satisfying to me. So when you got there, however mm-hmm. many percentage of women were doing that, are there more now than there were when you started in 1991? Oh, absolutely. When I first came on, maybe 15, 20 women. Um, we have a lot more now. It's funny because um, when I came in, when I came in in 1991, um, even our uniforms were not for women. Uh, mm. We had to, uh, yes, we had to yeah. curtail our uniforms, and <laughs> and yeah, there was a lot of tailoring to be done. Not to mention um, no ladies' but, rooms anywhere. I bet. I bet there were no uh, ladies' rooms it, anywhere. It was it was difficult, <laughs> but um, yeah, we we've evolved, Lisa. We have evolved. So um, we. I have seen the changes. I have seen the positives. You know, I will tell you that the Bridgeport Police Department, which which they don't really announce this, has its first female firearms instructor. And and that's amazing. It is amazing that we were able to offer that opportunity. And, and she wasn't picked because she was a female. Mm-hmm. She was picked because she expressed interest, because she went to all of the schools. She qualified. She's on our ESU team. You know, we, I have made it a point, or I made it a point to be inclusive, you know, because we talk about inclusivity, right? So let's just start with that. The first female chief in the city of Bridgeport, the first 
female firearms in the city of Bridgeport. I think we're, we're really breaking glass ceilings. I really do. We're chatting with Rebecca Garcia, who just retired yesterday from being the acting Bridgeport <laughs> police chief who served our community in Bridgeport for 30 years. An incredible tenure, actually. Um, mm-hmm. Rebecca, did you um, ever have to fire a gun in the line of duty yourself? Thankfully, no. Uh, I I had to draw my firearm, um, but I, I really... I am thankful that I never had to. Um, I did, uh, obviously, I've been around officers that had to uh, discharge their firearm, and, you know, it's it's traumatic. It's traumatic to the officers, and you see what they go through. You see what their families go through. Um, And even, you know, with with the community sometimes, um, uh, it's like, you know, why couldn't you, shouldn't you? But even just drawing your weapon, um, it impacts you as a person. So I, I thank God that I never had to um, discharge my firearm at anyone. You know, you were acting police chief through two of the most um, sort of agonizing uh, years, I think, for generally people in Connecticut, for communities that felt that there were those cases um, where the families felt that the police did not notify the next of kin soon enough, right? Brenda uh, Rawlings case and and the other one whose name I'm forgetting, but you know who I'm talking about. Um, yes, uh, Lawrence Smithfields. Yes, exactly. And that was very traumatic for the families. It led to new laws, you know, making police mm-hmm. have to be even more accountable. As you were going mm-hmm. through this, uh, Rebecca, you know, what insight can you give us from the police point of view about how mm-hmm. this issue happened and evolved. What what was your take on it? So, um, what I can tell you obviously is limited because there's still pending matters on on these circumstances. But what I can tell you, what I can um, ask of the community, is to um, make people aware. You know, something as small as as a next of kin card. I actually um, had we we drafted some we we um, magnetic magnets that you can put on your refrigerator. It's it's called the next of kin card. Um, it you know asks for a person's name. You know if if you don't you know if someone doesn't know who you are if you live by yourself, um, just having contact information available. Uh, we we learned from it. Uh, like I said, we did do the the um, card, and we we were giving them out at some of our community events with the pens, you know, with the erasable yes. pens, uh, so that um, you know we can we were educated, and then we can educate the community as well. So it's it's a learning process, right? Um, we don't always have all the answers, but we do know that it's a learning process, and that's how we grow together when we continue to learn. Are we still having a lot of trouble getting people to want to be police officers, particularly in Bridgeport? Uh, you know what? Not only in Bridgeport, ma'am, but it is a, a nationwide concern. No, I know concern. that. I oh, know that. it's but yes, in 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 Bridgeport, um, we have had difficulty in uh, recruiting uh, persons to that are interested in being officers. I mean, we've been out there. There is an amazing recruitment team at the Bridgeport Police Department. They come right out of the training academy because we're better, right? Someone that knows what what you're going to experience for, you know, we cut down the eight months to five because we extended the days. But um, what better to have someone that knows what the process is, um, is going to be there during um, the training uh, to, than to go out in, in uh really reach out to the community. Yes, we are having a difficult time. We've been to the schools. We've been to the communities. We've, I mean, we've even, I I was even on the Spanish radio stations quite a few times Mm -hmm. um, promoting the recruitment for the Bridgeport Police Department. You know, and and one of the things I have to tell you is that it is a a place where you, where there is opportunity. I I had so many different opportunities. Um, I was able to walk through so many doors and that's what I always am able to express and share with people uh, while we were out there trying to recruit uh, persons that were interested. So we're chatting with Rebecca Garcia. So on our audience right now, what is your pitch to a young person who might want to be a police officer? What What's the best part of the job? 
the best part of the job is being a part of the change. So we, we see so many things that are going on in society throughout throughout the nation. And, um, you know, so many times people, obviously people feel like, oh, well, you know, I would do this different or, you know, they should be doing this. Well, become part of the they. Become part of that of that body that can effectuate positive change, positive impact, be a voice. Um, law enforcement has been so rewarding for me. Uh, we've been, you know, I've been able to do so many things, as I said, and so many experiences and opportunities, and I've met amazing people, uh, my officers and, and the people in the community, and we've been able to impact positive change. There's nothing more rewarding than someone in our community that may not have a voice and you become a voice for that person and, and you can actually save their life. That is so rewarding. So be a part of the change would be my pitch. Rebecca Garcia, are you thinking about running for public office? Have, have you been approached to do it? Has some, ever been anything you've been interested in? Well, I've been approached. Um, you know, people have kind of dropped uh, dropped their uh, comments and, and uh, inquiries. Uh, not something that I've uh, finalized the decision on yet. But you're thinking about it. You're open-minded to it? I'm I'm open-minded to it. Yes, ma'am. That's good. Because we really need <laughs> we need solid serious people with with impressive backgrounds in the community to be running for office. That's what we need. Mm, That's what we thank need. you. We have, we have a lot of we have a lot of people that run. I don't really know why they run. They run because they all of a sudden have some time on their hands or they run for <laughs> ego or I don't know, but 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 I mean, you've been in law enforcement for 30 years. I would think that you would have an enormous amount that you could contribute when it comes to discussions and debates about public policy. I would think that mm. your voice would be taken very seriously, don't you? Mm. Very seriously. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I believe that I, I can be a voice, um, and I believe that my experiences um, would help me um, would help me in that. So, yes, it's something to to think about for sure. <laughs> and you, do you live in Bridgeport? Is that where yes, you live? Ma yeah. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. We're chatting with Rebecca mm -hmm. Garcia. Well, one other thing I, I have to ask you, this coming from a listener. Um, this mm -hmm. listener is, has been complaining, um, well, is complaining because she had a car stolen from her driveway, and she called the police. This was not in Bridgeport, another, a suburban community. And a, okay. car, a car was stolen from her driveway. She could see it. She could see it being stolen from her driveway. Uh -huh. uh, okay. And she called the police, and the police said, you know, with all due respect, we don't chase cars anymore. We don't, we don't do that um, because mm -hmm. we don't want to risk, you know, the new laws and the new policies are we don't want to risk uh, a life for the sake of property. And if your car turns up, great. And if it doesn't, we're sorry about it, but we don't do that anymore. Um, mm -hmm. I, I want to know about that from your point of view mm -hmm. as a law enforcement mm -hmm. officer and now just a citizen. What do you think about mm -hmm. that? Well, I, I would say that it, it is true. Um, officers are not allowed to engage in pursuits. Um, but there are different ways to combat that, right? So in Bridgeport, we did PSAs asking people to please do not leave your doors open, please do not leave your fobs in your car, um, and, and gave them different ideas on how to um, prevent that from happening. And also, we started in Bridgeport. It was our initiative um, that's now being endorsed, uh, funded by the state for an additional two years. We started an operation called Operation Wingspan. And the reason why we named it that is because we were able to engage departments or surrounding towns to unite with the Bridgeport Police Department out of our fusion center, which is our eyes in the sky, and uh, do different things, investigate uh, who's stealing cars, um, do recovery methods, um, really engage people in the community to find out if it was juveniles that were stealing cars, if it was ring. Um, and so we had Stratford, Trumbull, Newtown, Monroe, 
Fairfield, even Westport, joined together with the Bridgeport Police Department. Like I said, is our initiative is called Operation Wingspan in being able to combat um, stolen cars. And and so to to the lady, to the young lady that that has expressed frustration, we understand that. Um, and and yes, there is policy that we cannot engage in pursuit. But then, you know what we need to do? We need to come up with better methods and ideas so that these things are not happening. And um, then we need to to hold our our judicial system, you know, accountable. If mm-hmm. if it's a juvenile, you just say walk out the door, right? Uh, we right. can't. We give them misdemeanor a summons, and they're walking out the door. So. The voice, the voices together with initiatives, um, the impact. We have a project longevity team that we also engaged our juvenile probation officers on there, and we would talk and we would be like, this is the concern. So it's about pulling people together, right? Remember I said being a part of the voice for the community. And, yes, I like I said, I understand her frustration. It is very frustrating when you see your car driving away and you're being told, hey, sorry, there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. So we have to be better about it. <laughs> I know, mm-hmm. I know. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Rebecca Garcia, I think it's going to take you a while to unwind from <laughs> all of these years of being so hypervigilant on behalf of our community <laughs> and being ready, willing, and able to serve I, I want to mm-hmm. thank you for all of those years of service. I'm glad you came out of the 30 years intact, uh, mm-hmm. you know, thankfully. And I invite you to come on our show to announce mm-hmm. when you're ready to run for public office, what office that may be. Um, we'll sit down in the studio. We'll grab a cup of coffee, and you'll tell us what your next ambition is and why you want to do it. I, I have a feeling you're just getting started. Thank you, ma'am. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Um, I'd love to meet you in person. Um, Thank you for your support and allowing me to be here and and talk with you in our community. A pleasure. Have a good vacation, a well-deserved fun. You, You need some (laughs) well-deserved fun to recharge those batteries. Retiring Police Chief Rebecca Garcia from Bridgeport on the Lisa Wexler Show. Thank you so much. Thank you, ma'am. Have a great day. You too. We'll be right back. Search for the WICC 600 app on your smartphone and listen to Lisa anywhere. The Lisa Wexler Show is back on WICC 600. And welcome back to the show. Last night I went to Gold Coast Connect and I went to the Knowlton, which I hadn't been to before, which is a very cool site uh, in Bridgeport, uh, around, I think it's around Maple Street. It was very dark and rainy and a little bit windy when I got there. I have a feeling during the day I would really like it because you can sense that it's on the water, but it was pitch black and I couldn't really tell. And it's a very cool, like one of these, you know, old industrial spaces that's been converted that could be anything with a lot of cool artwork and murals on the outside. And Gold Coast connected its party. And I really enjoyed being there. And I had my cards read. I had my tarot cards read, which was always fun. Shout out to Micah, who did it for me. And, you know, she flips out all these cards. and I don't know what I'm looking at. And, but I do notice one thing, that tarot card decks are not all the same. I, I thought that they were. But her pictures were very different than other pictures of other decks that I had seen. And I don't pretend to know anything about it. Except that it was fun. (laughs) It was fun. And she said to me, so there are like these series of cards and there's good and bad. And I said, you know, are you doing the bad before the good so that it has a happy ending because you want me to walk away happy? Did it really come out that way? And she's like, no, it really came out that way. It came out that way. So what she said was something was going to fall into my lap. And I don't know what it is. And some, but it's wonderful. It's a good thing. Something is going to fall into my lap without even trying, and it has to do with an ace. There was an ace in there, and uh, I don't know anything about tarot cards. Um, And my Aunt Cookie doesn't like to have them read because she says, you know, in the Bible, you're not supposed to do things like that, but I think it's fun, okay? (laughs) Okay, so... Sin number one of the new year, sin number 200 of the new year, I I allowed my cards to be read, and I had a good time. 203-333-9422. So anyway, I posted a little 10-second video of Randy Lehrman and myself last night, 
And we, we had a good time. That's on Instagram. And I'd love you to follow me on Insta. I'm trying to do better with all of this. My Insta handle is Lisa Wexler Radio. Uh, and that's what it is. And, of course, the Facebook page is The Lisa Wexler Show. And you can friend me. I'm almost out of friends on Facebook. I think I have a, a few hundred more, more that I can do. And then I'm topped out at 5,000. No more friends for me on Facebook. 203-333-9422 is our number. All right, let me give you some more headlines. Some news you may have missed, but some headlines. Uh, there is a, um, well, Senator Murphy is in the in the news. Do we have a clip from him, Andrew? Let's play a little clip. This is Senator Chris Murphy. He wants to link federal funding for police to making sure they enforce the existing gun laws on an appearance on CNN's Face the Nation. He said the majority of counties in the country are effectively, quote, sanctuaries for a right-wing interpretation of the Second Amendment Quote, they have decided they are going to essentially refuse to implement laws that are on the books. That is a growing problem in this country. I think we're going to have a conversation about that in the Senate. Do we want to continue to supply funding to law enforcement in counties that refuse to implement state and federal gun laws? Let's hear it in his own words a little bit. If we passed an assault weapons ban, we would see less mass shootings in this country. Yes, there are already tens of thousands of assault weapons on the street. Nobody's talking about taking those weapons away from individuals. Just We're just talking about stopping new sales. But if you look at some of the most high-profile mass shootings in the last couple of years, many of those mass shooters bought the weapon just days before carrying out the crime. And so if those weapons were no longer commercially available, only, uh, only in possession of those who had bought them, Um, previously, I think a lot of mass shootings would have been uh, prevented. And so what he's specifically alluding to, or let's put it this way, what the press is alluding to, is that in this massacre at the gay club that we spoke about earlier in the show, that terrible shooting that left five people dead, this happened in Colorado's El Paso County. And three years ago, the county passed a resolution declaring that it as a county was opposed to the state's red flag law. This according to the Associated Repress. They reported that police in that county have a, quote, sparse track record of using the law to temporarily confiscate weapons from people who are deemed a danger to themselves or others. In other words, these red flag laws, which we have here in Connecticut, we were one of the first people to start it. I don't know if we were the very first state, but we were one of them, where we say, hey, wait a minute, hey, wait a minute. We think, I think, I think there's someone in my community who shouldn't have a gun, and here's why, <clears throat> here's why. Uh, they have a, uh, a mental disease like schizophrenia where, when, where they're off meds, they become paranoid and um, accusatory and menacing. Or um, this person I can see on social media is, is gone off the wall and is making all kinds of threats and harassing statements. And, or this person has a record of s- a significant domestic violence and should not be allowed to have a gun. Okay, there, there are a lot of things in the red flag law. But Some things are red flags to people where there could be an imminent danger. So we have a situation in Connecticut. This red flag law means that you, you as an individual, you, your brother's keeper, your sister's keeper, could call up the police and say, "Um, I think there's enough here that for now, until there's a hearing in front of a judge, this person shouldn't have a gun for now. And the police do their own investigation, and they can swear out what they call a risk warrant, which is exactly what it sounds like, which is, you know what? There's too much of a risk to society for this person to have a gun. So I think we're going to take it away from this person until this person can get a formal due process hearing, and we can evaluate all the facts, and then the gun will be even give, either given back to this person or not for a while. So... A lot of states have passed these laws because they make a lot of common sense. They give the police a tool to prevent crime as opposed to just cleaning up the mess afterwards. And yet in Colorado, a county, a county passed a resolution that said, we don't agree. We don't agree with those red flag laws. So what message does that send to local law enforcement? It's sort of a sense of the meeting. It's a sense of the people. It's a sense of where they stand. And so law enforcement, which is representative of the people and among and in the community, says, okay, we get the hint. You don't want us enforcing those red flag laws. We have them on the books, but you're telling us to look the other way. 
And so people are not calling in, even though they might know that some individuals shouldn't have a gun right now. And by the way, it's a right now. It's not a forever. These red flag laws are right now. They are, you know, someone right now is behaving in a way that I don't think they should have a weapon. An AR-15, a long gun, a shotgun, whatever it is. And so what Chris Murphy is saying is he's saying, you know what? Well, we hold the purse strings in the U.S. Senate for a lot of these uh, municipalities, legislative entities, police forces. And maybe we're going to have to control the purse strings a little bit tighter. Because if you are ignoring the laws that are already on your books, because for whatever reason you don't want to enforce them, then maybe you shouldn't keep looking to the federal dole to keep supporting you. Because we expect you to enforce the laws that have been passed. That's what he's saying. I'm Lisa Wexler. We're going to be back in the next hour. We're going to turn to a theater conversation in the next hour, get a little bit more of the skinny on the genius of Stephen Sondheim, the great composer who died in Roxbury, Connecticut. we got lots more news in the news, so stick around. You're listening to WIB, uh, WIBC, WICC. It's good. It's good that I can pronounce my own name once in a while. WICC AM 600. WICC600.com. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com. 